Hi, this is Alan Ruff, the Thursday host of A Public Affair. If you have a moment and the, the resources, remember to support the station. And if you will, head over to wrtfm.org to donate and to see what else is going on at the station. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. And good afternoon. Welcome to this, the Thursday edition of Public Affair. I'm your host for this hour. My name is Alan Ruff. Today's topic is Palestine, and more precisely, the ongoing and currently escalating violence that is day-to-day life under Israel's illegal occupation of the West Bank. Our focus will be on the southernmost region or area of the region, a place known as Masafer Yata, and the occupation's myriad impacts on the lives of its Palestinian inhabitants. With us today are two special guests. Joining us in the Wart studio is the longtime Madison area peace and solidarity activist Cassandra Dixon, just returned from Palestine. Dixon has traveled to Palestine multiple times over the past dozen years as a volunteer doing an accompaniment and solidarity work in Masafir Yatta. During her latest visit there on March 7th, she and another international were attacked by extremist Israeli settlers on the outskirts of Tuva, a Palestinian village. She was hit in the head from behind by a settler wielding a large stick. The blow fractured her skull and caused a brain bleed, resulting in a two-day hospital stay. The goal today is not just to recount what happened to her, but to share what she has witnessed and learned regarding the ceaseless Israeli efforts to dispossess Masafer Yata's entire Palestinian population from their homes and land. Joining us as well, via the wonders of today's technology from his home village of Tuba, is human rights activist Ali Awad. He's a writer and chronicler of the Israeli occupation's effects on Masafer Yata's inhabitants. I want to, first off, Cassandra and Ali, welcome to both of you. Thanks. Ali Awad, I want to start with you. That is, let's begin by telling our listeners about Yasser, uh, excuse me, Masafir Yata. Provide us with some brief introductory description of the area and what its Palestinian inhabitants are constantly facing. Talk perhaps about the general conditions of daily life for the area's people under occupation. I wonder, did we lose Ollie? I don't know. I think. <clears throat> yes. Oh, here we are. I, Great. <laughs> can you? Can you hear me? Yes, yes. we can. Yes. Did Did you hear? Did you hear the question I presented to you? No, sorry, I, the call was interrupted and I couldn't hear you well. Okay, well, I was wondering if you could provide us with some introductory description of the area of Masafir Yata and what its Palestinian inhabitants are constantly facing, the general conditions of daily life for the area's people under occupation. Okay, great. Thank you so much for uh, this question and uh, for having me. Again, my name is uh, Ali Awad. I am an activist uh, from the village of Tuba, one of the Palestinian villages uh, located uh, in Masafari Yatta. So, uh, like people are facing uh, here in Masafari Yatta, like to describe the area, first of all, Masafari Yatta is the last spot of the south of the West Bank. It's like located exactly at the green line with the like the borders of the of the of Israel and here like this area what is facing what the area is facing here today like the level of the, the violence by the Israeli occupation is kind of increasing in the recent years are policies that the people and the occupation have a vision in order to kick the people out of here I mean, uh, since the beginning of the occupation in 1967, since the beginning of the Israeli occupation to the West Bank in 1967. Like to talk like what I'm going to be describing here, like to, for the, like the listeners to understand what's happening, is that the state of Israel 
is trying to kick the people from these villages and to replace the Palestinian villages from this area with an Israeli illegal settlement. And that's exactly what's happening. So started like the policies, like, like at least like less than a decade after 1967, which uh, that, like there are 12 Palestinian villages in the Safariyata we are talking about, uh, 35,000 donums of land that they are all cultivated fields. Uh, the 12 villages, including my village, we are Palestinian shepherds that are uh, like needing the land for, for cultivation and for grazing. So the whole area that is surrounding our villages, it's a cultivated area and uh, also grazing hills. So the, like the, the cultivation of the land and the livestock is the only main livelihood for the Palestinian people. And we are talking about more than 1,000 people who are using this land and you like to working with the with the, with the sheep and with the other livestock so grazing in order to find the livelihood for their families and today under the occupation this is like the only way for the people in order to stay survive is to stay with their land and to cultivate their land so in in the beginning of the 80s Israel declared these 12 Palestinian villages, including Tuba, my village, and other 11 villages, as what's so-called firing zone. And we are talking about the firing zone, uh, like Israel is using it as a policy in order to, like, frankly, put the people in a military tracks and kick them out of the area, which Israel declared as a firing zone. And we are not talking about a small percentage of of the West Bank that Israel already declared as a firing zone. There is 18% of the West Bank, including Masafariyata, today it's declared as a firing zone. And the goal is clear that in the whole areas that Israel declared, declare, uh, like civilians' village as a firing zone, in order to have the claim that these people uh, are living in a firing zone and demolish their village and kick them out of their, uh, out of their homes. Explain. I'm sorry. Yeah, explain for our listeners uh, what you mean by a firing zone. I, my understanding is that these lands are are being uh, grabbed up, really, or designated yeah. as firing so, zones for tr- military training and so on. Exactly. So this is like the area that is Israel like declared as a firing zone or designating it as a firing zone, which means that they specialize this piece of land of the occupied territories as a place where they train their soldiers. Like we are talking here, over our 12 villages, uh, now the Israeli army has like a green light by the Supreme Court in order to use all kinds of uh, weapons and training around between the villages. And this is like exactly with my own eyes and like the helicopters, the tanks, and also shooting fields that they, they turned our like our crops and our fields from part by the military as training fields where they shoot or where they drive with their tanks over the Palestinian uh, villages. So this is like exactly what I mean by firing zone which means turning it as an exactly as uh, army invading the villages and uh, using them for, for training their soldiers. I want to come back. This is like someone. Yeah. I want to come back to Cassandra uh, Dixon for a second. Cassandra, you've visited the area on a number of occasions. What has taken you to Palestine, Palestine before, and what specifically was your purpose in going there at this time? So... I was following the money. We spend an enormous amount of our tax dollars, and this is tax time here. We've all just uh, filed or not filed or struggled to file our income taxes. And um, we send daily about $8 million. I think it's uh, $3.8 billion a year, plus some various add-ons of U.S. tax dollars that are designated for Israel, thanks to a very strong Israeli lobby in this country. And it's incumbent on us, I think, to understand what this money is being used for, because it's a lot of money at a time when a lot of us are um, you know, concerned that, that uh, we don't have enough money here, apparently, to fund health care for our, our own citizens. So 
one of the things that this money is being used for is uh, the weapons that are being used in the firing zone, the helicopters that are flying over schools there, the tanks that are destroying crops like Ali uh, described. Um, that, that is money that we need to take responsibility for and that we seem to be largely failing to do. I think there was a recent letter um, in Congress written by uh, Sanders and Bowman suggesting that we might take that on. And the letter got 14 signers, which is a, a good step. But clearly, we need to take some responsibility for for where this money is going. And I I personally, I think also we, we really need to be listening to Ollie and, and people who are sort of on the receiving end of that money who can who can explain to us what that money is being used for and and what that looks like. You're listening to Cassandra Dixon with us here in the WORT studios and special guest all the way from the southern reaches of the occupied West Bank in Palestine, Ali Awad. Cassandra, what happened to you? So what happened the day you were attacked? And more so, I found in a sense, more interesting, what happened to you in the aftermath, uh, your treatment by the authorities, in contrast to that of the area's Palestinians, the assumption that you must have provoked the attack, the variance or difference between your overall treatment and and that of Palestinians wishing to file a complaint to the police, all all overlaid by a settler impunity that the settlers uh, are rarely, if, if ever, I guess, some are um, charged with with you know these well violent acts, right? Uh, it is rare for settlers to face any kind of consequences for their actions, um, which is I think another layer of of our responsibility um, for what happens there. Ali um, can better tell you than me um, what what this scenario is like for Palestinians uh, who try to file complaints or who do successfully file complaints. Um, uh, a few days after I was attacked, he spent hours outside of the same police station struggling to to um, file a complaint on behalf of someone else, a Palestinian who was attacked, um, and trying to post bail for that person who was arrested in the process of trying to file the complaint. Uh, my own experience w- was that the... Um, Tammy Baldwin's office, Senator Senator Baldwin's office, did respond to a um, a lot of calls and letters from people for which I'm grateful, and um, created some pressure on the State Department, which seems to have created some pressure on the maybe on the on the Israeli police and legal system, um, right? But the the police told me when I when I went in to file a complaint, they their their outlook on the situation. One of the the, the officer who was supposedly translating is an ideological settler himself, so certainly had an opinion, but told me, well, we have to ask all these questions like, uh, you know, when did you arrive? Who arranged for you to come? Who drove you? Where are you staying? Where did you sleep last night? Where are you going to sleep next week? Who do you know there? What are the names of all the people you stayed with? All these questions. Uh, his argument was that they were relevant because, he said, Israelis don't ever just attack people for no reason. And yeah, we can see that you had a, you know, a fractured skull and a brain bleed. You you were hit hard. But so why did someone do this? Well, people don't do this for any no reason except of course for the Arabs. So, in order to understand, you know, who might have done this and find them, we have to understand what you did to provoke the attack or what someone that you associated did to provoke the attack. So, <laughs> this is not a um, a legal system that's particularly longing for justice. Again, you, that was Cassandra Dixon. We're also on the phone to the West Bank, the southern part of the West occupied West Bank, with Ali Awad, human rights activist. Uh, Ali and Cassandra, I'd like the both of you to provide some broader context for what has been reported as an overall escalation of state-backed settler violence in, in Masafariyata. After all, it's not just the story of Israeli settler encroachment and violence. Other things are going on, something much larger. Once you delve 
under the surface. I? Do we lose him again? Sandra, go ahead. Okay, hopefully somebody can try to get him back there. So. (laughs) Okay, go ahead, Cassandra. Maybe someone can text him and just let him know that we can't. Maybe it's muted by mistake or something. So um, there's and and please interrupt me when you when you do get him back there. So yes, um, I think that there is a a a rise in settler violence right now. the combination of the the green light to destroy these villages, the the last legal appeal was lost um, almost a year ago, and so demolitions have begun. Um, and at the same time, the the settlers in the in the illegal illegal settlements and outposts um, feel from this current government that that um, they they sort of have impunity. They they can do what they want right now. And so their agenda to push people out is uh, that agenda was already in place, and I think that that now their their willingness to to engage in violence to advance that um, it, that's always been a fact. But I I think that they feel more free now. So, and we uh, sadly, <laughs> the world and the U.S. are are doing very little to. To thwart that, I, I think that you know, in general, you, you think, well, their government is is giving them permission to to be, to behave in inhuman ways, but that doesn't mean that the world needs to acquiesce in that. But there's a, a sad lack, I think, of of global um, um, stance against that right now. <clears throat> Cassandra Dixon, talk about what you describe or, or, or refer to as the colonialism of the Israeli settlers, that colonial project. And I ask because I never really thought about it deeply enough. Uh, But until I was preparing for this program and the modalities, the mechanisms, multi-leveled mechanisms of colonialism are striking. I wonder, just to check, did we get Ali back? No, we don't know. Maybe not. So yeah, I can hear you. Uh, okay, can you great. Um, can you talk a little bit about colonialism? Sorry, like, like uh, sometimes like uh, the voice like is interrupted. I can't hear you all the time, so I don't get the point what you guys are talking about. Right. Well, Alan but, has uh, just asked if you could. No, like the not. Yeah, like the line is. Uh, I suggest like maybe if you if I can like at once about what's happening about the settlers and then you guys can follow up and because like I'm not sure the line is going well with me yes go ahead Ali please okay I just like want to talk like continue like with the with like the displacement uh, policies uh, at (laughs) once like if you please give me maybe four minutes for that and about what's happening here and because uh, I'm not sure that I can follow up with every question every time because I can't hear it well. I'm sorry. Yeah, proceed. Go ahead. We we seem to have lost him again. It's in and out. I'm sorry about this, listeners, because we were hoping to have this. We always hope for the best. Um, the policies, you know, Cassandra, can you pick up uh, where he was going a little bit? Uh, the policies of dispossession. Okay, um, but Ali, if you uh, if you're able to, just go ahead and interrupt if it comes back, if the signal comes back. So now I hear you. Ah, we hear you. Go for it. <laughs> okay, so uh, what I was talking about is that uh, what's happening in Masafariyapa exactly? All these policies, like aims into uh, evacuating the Palestinian villages and replace them with Israeli illegal settlements. This is like what I was talking about. So the like the, since the 80s, like Israel like started to build like the chain of a settlement that separates the Masafariyapa area from the rest of the West Bank. Now where we can where I can watch it like a chain of a settlement. And in the same time, Israel declared that these Palestinian villages, as a, as we talked about before, a firing zone. It's called Firing Zone 918. And following in the 80s, actually, 
these villages, including me and my family from my village, we were evacuated in military trucks, in Israeli military trucks, out of this out of this area. After that, we moved to the Israeli Supreme Court, which itself, like the Israeli Human Rights Organization, said that this court never been the hero for the Palestinian human rights. Why? Because uh, <clears throat> when we moved, like in the year 2000, in order to seek for justice uh, through this uh, through this court, which we as Palestinians under the Israeli occupation have no choice but to go through Israeli courts. Uh, this court, after 22 years of when we like give the whole proofs that we are living in these villages and we are staying in these villages and these our homes since decades, the ownership of the land. After 22 years, the Israeli Supreme Court in May 4th last year, 2022, have ruled again in favor of the military. So putting the fate of thousands of people with their lands and their sheep and their entire villages in the hands of the military to uh, actually exercise over their homes with helicopters and with tanks and with like uh, live ammunition uh, trainings. In the meanwhile, like this Supreme Court, some after the year 2000, Israeli legal outposts will, were built actually inside the area that is called so-called firing zone, and these outposts, the Israeli Supreme Court have taken them out of the of these ruling. So the ruling against the Palestinian villages, but keeping the Palestinian, sorry, the Israeli outposts that are located in, under the same legal status uh, without uh, any, uh, like, evacuation orders. So that clearly means that the Israeli military doesn't really, don't really need this area or the, these people's villages to train their soldiers, but it's just an excuse in order to evacuate the Palestinians and push them in small areas in the occupied West Bank, making a space for the Israeli settler uh, colonialism project, which is ha- actually is happening in the West Bank. From the other side, in order for Israel to keep this chain of settlements, like keep expanding over our villages and uh, like taking more and more of our lands, they are using other kind of uh, colonial laws, which is, I'm not sure if I can call it a law. Every time I'm saying that this is not really a law because the law is supposed to uh, like uh, preserve human dignity or to be able like to solve an issue of a human, human rights. But actually these laws are just aiming in order to... Uh, I mean, uh, take the lands from the Palestinians. So around the area that is like in the West Bank, in the occupied West Bank, around the areas where Israel have built settlements, it wants to be sure that how to make sure to take more Palestinian lands in the future. So in the 80s, when they when they start to build the settlements, they attach them with the so-called state land law, which is an outdated Ottoman law when the Ottoman Empire was here over a Palestine that was using it. If somebody don't use his land for a few years, then it will turn for the for the state, and the state have the right to lease it to whoever the state wants. So what's happening, like including why the settlers were reaching my village when Cassandra was attacked, because these fields, like the, the land that belongs to my family, uh, the state of Israel declared it as a state land, and now. Uh, it is leading it to the settlers, and the settlers are the only ones who are allowed to use it and even build agricultural outposts. Like since COVID, this like this law, the Israeli occupation in the West Bank have like been focusing on it in Masafariyata, in the Jordan Valley, other areas of the of the West Bank, in order to uh, like to build agricultural outposts under the pretext that the settlers lease the land from the from the state and they legally according to the Israeli courts for sure they they are allowed they are allowed to do it. So that if like a piece of my land that belongs to my family that we have been cultivating it for, for years, if we like uh, if the Israel decide to declare it as a state land, me as a Palestinian, like even the garden in front of my house that I cultivated with a barley or with a wheat where I graze my sheep, if the state of Israel declared it as a state land, then uh, the settler 
that like the ownership of the land will be easily transferred to the settlers and no no one of us as Palestinians can do anything to this like few days before Cassandra was attacked like we we were in the land that belongs to my family and after the Israeli military and police showed up while the settler was 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 like harassing and grazing with his sheep my own like crops that I cultivated back in November with my grandfather he told me no this is not your land this is declared as a state land and now the settlers can graze whatever he wants and you are the one that is not allowed to be here so go home or like if, if I don't if I decide like to stay Easily I will be arrested going through trails that I violated this occupation and this colonial law. So, talking about like this state land, as I, as I described before, the people here in Masafriyat are shepherds and farmers. So there is no piece of land, there is no like single piece of land that the Palestinians here don't want to use. All of it, they need it. Like every piece of land that belongs to my family, we cultivated it. So how they, how they want to make sure that the Palestinians stop using the land. Unfortunately, it's happening with violence. That the settlers will terrorize the Palestinians, will attack international like solidarity activists like Cassandra in order to terrorize the Palestinians from accessing a piece of land. Then the Palestinians for sure will be like accessing this land will mean sometimes by the settlers a threat of being killed because the settlers are armed, they are permitted to rise by their state, by their government, in order to hold guns and to shoot at the Palestinians. And for sure they are protected legally after, after killing a Palestinian. So for sure they can, Palestinians are uh, terrorized and uh, under the threat of, uh, of being in, uh, like, uh, say, uh, a confrontation with the settlers, because we are talking about Palestinians who are shepherds and farmers, simple people who are just civilians, but the settlers look like uh, an armed groups who have guns, so easily for the settlers to kill the Palestinians. So in this case, when the settlers terrorize the Palestinians, the Palestinians for sure will stop using the, the land after different kind of terrorism. Then, then like, unfortunately, like, if I want to talk about the, the international law and to want to talk about like the, the convention, the occupied people is the responsibility of the occupying power. In this case, the state of Israel should show up, bring forces in order to protect the Palestinians, while people, protected persons who are just practicing their life, who are just like planting a tree, who, who are just feeding their sheep, should bring forces in order to stop the terrorism of the settlers. But unfortunately, this is not happening. In contrary, the state of Israel will follow up with the settlers' procedures and declare the Palestinians' land as a state land, and then lease it to the settlers who want to throw stones or shot at the Palestinians. That's exactly what's happening in Masafar Yatta, and like from one side, the, the, the demolition of the villages, from the other side, the land robbery. Like the, the outposts are expanding based on forcing the Palestinians to, to kick them out of the land and then build outposts over them. So this is like the means of giving the settlers the sense that you just need to commit a terrorism, a violence, and then the land will be yours. This makes the Palestinians' life here in Masafar Yatta under daily violence under imminent threat of being kind of killed, for example, by the settler, stabbed, or like whatever, like people here in the Safari are so worried from the, from the settlers, like the settlers really are ready in order to commit violence against the Palestinians in order to, uh, like to, I mean, in order to take the land out of them. Talking about just I mentioned before COVID and this policy of the agricultural outposts. A lot of lands around my village I used to graze with my family in it a few, three years ago. Now we are not allowed to access it because the, the state land law was totally declared over them after the settlers managed with their violence to prevent the, like, the Palestinians from grazing inside them. So the actually like that, let's say the ethnic cleansing of the Palestinians from this area, everything that is Palestinian 
the, the Israeli occupation is fighting against it. So the what I mean, the like it's really happening, and there are like uh, I want to say like through like this channel that uh, the Palestinians here are just I mean civilians who are seeking for raising families and having children and living normal life as they used to do before the Israeli occupation. But the Israeli occupation is not leaving them alone. Their villages, their land is the entrance of, they have like, Israel has a colonial entrance over it. Ali Awad, and, talk, talk, yeah. talk about the mechanisms, the structures of occupation. There's this baseline of violence uh, but there's so much more to it. It's, it's a system of control, of surveillance, of harassment, coercion, uh, leveled at the entire population. <clears throat> Excuse me. Talk about that, the, the day-to-day harassment of, and attempts to go from point A to point B. What happens on the... <clears throat> excuse me, listeners. What happens on the, uh, on the roads... What happens to the schools, the institutions that people like yourself struggle to maintain? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, this is the like the, the establishment of the outpost also in like for the for the movement and for also this like to disconnect like the Palestinian villages and make their movement and their life is much harder. For example, like the settlers who like attacked Cassandra, they come from uh, an Israeli illegal outpost. And when I say Israeli illegal outpost, also according to the Israeli to the Israeli law, Cassandra, uh... could you pick up a little bit? Yeah, Ali, just just jump back in when you can when it comes back. So the um, under okay, okay, sorry ah. You're back. Good. Yeah, I mean, I can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can yeah. hear you. You go. Uh, okay, so um, Ellen is saying go ahead, but just please interrupt if if uh, if the connection is better. So the Israeli settlements, all of them, are illegal under international law. Also illegal under Israeli law are the outposts. Um, however, recently Israel has moved to quote unquote legalize nine outposts, including two in Musafriyata. So this they are clearly a way of of gaining more and more and more land. So the settler uh, who attacked me is uh, came the the two of them actually came from the illegal outpost of Havmat Mo'on. Um, that outpost and the settlement of Mo'on lie uh, between the villages of Tuani and Tuba. Uh, they were built in the in the 80s. And there used to be a, a good Palestinian road between Tuani and Tuba, which was used for all the, all the reasons that you would use a road between a smaller village and a larger one, including children going to school. Um, in the 80s, those children began to be attacked by, in, including Ali himself, by settlers from from the illegal outpost of Hamamon, and that that's partly what resulted in internationals coming to that area. Um, Palestinians tried escorting their own children to school and were attacked, and Israeli activists tried escorting them, and eventually internationals tried escorting them and were also attacked. And in the end, um, the Knesset ruled that the Israeli military should should guarantee the safety of those children walking between Tuba and Tawani to go to school. Um, the military has not done a consistently good job of that, often not going the full way, sometimes not showing up. And so internationals and, and Palestinian activists like, like Ali have have stepped in and, and um, walked with the children to, to assure their safety. Now, in this current situation, um, the, the land theft has, has been just grown exponentially. The size of the, of the illegal outpost of Abat Ma'on is, is just growing daily by taking land from Tuba. So now those children are forced to walk a good portion of their, of their walk to school um, is through 
for example, through exactly the area where I was attacked. They have to cross exactly those stones to get from school to home. Um, Jade, our, our producer, is telling me that we, we do have Ali, Ali Awad uh, oh, back with us. Um, <clears throat> are you there, Ali? Yeah, uh, I'm here. I'm here. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, what I wanted to ask you about is the impact on the ground since the court decision of, of May of last year. Uh, Israel, of course, had already demolished schools, homes, roads, wells, olive trees, uh, and so on. Uh, but since then, they've uh, stepped up that escalation that uh, Cassandra was just uh, alluding to. But could you talk about that, the, the escalation that has taken place uh, since uh, almost a year ago? Yeah, so, uh, so as I said, like the court ruling in May 4th was that giving the army like the like the decision over this this place, which means that giving the army the the green light in order to train and do whatever they want here, and they also like the court like I don't know like what how a court can say that like giving giving a fate of people in, in the hand of a commander to decide for them, to, to decide for the people. Like we said, the military, the one that will be deciding if, if the people will stay in their homes or if the, the military also will decide if the people also uh, can stay home but the helicopters train over their head. In two times, it means like either you stay in your homes because you don't have any other option and you will be killed by their bullet, by the random bullet, and actually talking about random bullets, yes, like the random bullets breach to at the people's walls and at the people's roofs of their houses. Or that you have to leave your house and leave it for the military, leave it for the military. And then when I'm talking about leaving your house as Palestinians here in Safariyatta, I don't know where the people will go. Like me personally and other people like and having no other choice. And people here, we are not talking about people who can maintain a profession inside the city. People here are connected to the land. They cannot get also kind of livelihood without being next to their land. So after the May 4th, for sure, the army was, was so happy to receive such a court ruling. They, are, they have been struggling against us in order to keep us out of the land for more than 40 years. So for sure, this green light of uh, of court decision by their Supreme Court gave them all the power that they want. So they decided, like, they, they started with so many policies and so many kind of escalations and also obstacles against residents. First of all, the, the restriction of, act of, 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 of access to your home or moving around, around the, the villages here. So uh, the people that, like, the, the soldiers distributed, first of all, like, checkpoints, flying checkpoints in the roads that between these villages, and preventing everyone sometimes, like, to, to go back home. Like, there is no problem. Like, you are Palestinian. As any other Palestinian living in any other city, the, the, the army cannot have, like, the proof. Like, you cannot have the proof to see that you are from this village. So easily they can, uh, they started with confiscating the vehicles, like like stopping the people for hours uh, in front of their villages and confiscating their vehicles in order to make them not go back and forth to this to this village. So eventually they will leave it. They actually put a gate, like built a gate in front of two villages located in Masafariyatta, Jinda and Del Merkiz, and these like there's an actual gate. Uh, closed with a lock that someone like they took the like the ID numbers of the of the people that live inside this village, and if, uh, if for example your brother coming to visit you in this village and his ID was not with the with the commander at this gate, he's not allowed to visit you. First of all, like Masafariyatta here, as I told you, it's the rural area of a of a city that is called Yatta. 130,000 people living in this city. So we are saying that this is a rural area where people use in this time every year 
like the area would be full of people like going for picnicking and going for uh, with their families out of the city for but this year nobody dare to come to this area at all why because the people would the army will will arrest all of them and confiscate all their vehicles so this is like the 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 occupation started after May 4th by isolating and leaving the people from these villages alone. Even human rights organizations and journalists. Me, as a journalist, I was detained and arrested going to moving between the villages. We were restricted from accessing these villages. Besides that, the, like the, and the, the amount of the, of the schedules of the trainings were increasing since May 4th especially at the first two months. Why? Because every time our lawyers were tried to submit an appeal in order to stop this ruling, the soldiers in the same day were sending a schedule of a training inside the villages in order to show to the Supreme Court that they need our villages for training. Yeah, so this is like kind of talking about like the villages and according to to the ruling what is what's happening the the people like the the any the Palestinians from out of Masafariyapa kind of uh, are scared to come to Masafariyapa even relatives are scared to visit their visit their relatives in these villages so that's what's like the occupation is closing the people inside their villages in order to make their life harder and to cut them from outside world. Uh, Ali, I would, we're getting toward the end of the hour. I have one more question for you, really, and that is some observers have noted that, that what is going on in, in Masaferiata is part of a broader surge in violence that has gripped the Israeli-occupied West Bank since Benjamin Netanyahu returned to power at the head of the extreme right-wing coalition. The Israeli settlers have been emboldened by the r- radical rhetoric and extremist policies promoted by the new government. Um, do you see that to be the case? Yeah, first of all, uh, yes, there is, there is uh, some changes like with this uh, like right government that is now in power in the state of Israel. Uh, but I don't want like... It's not that I don't want. It is what it is. The occupation, and I'm talk, I was just explaining that there are these policies have we have been like suffering from since the suffering since the beginning of the occupation. So it doesn't mean that a different kind of government in the Israeli Parliament will change like the occupation. They are, the occupation is the same, but like there are the, like the the, the government. Like this is a settler government, for example, and the settlers will are feeling more power, even over the Israeli forces in the occupied territories with this with this uh, government. So what I wanted like to say or like to summarize about this government is that occupation is the same and having the same vision of kicking us out of the land with even with the previous government and with this government. And but like the what I have been seeing like and I can tell a story of what happened uh, to, to like a guy from from my village who was arrested uh, in a day that Cassandra was filing a complaint against her attack uh, a few days after she was attacked. Like a guy who is my neighbor, a shepherd. He's 19 years old. He was. Uh, like he saw a settler from Al-Fariyafari outpost from the chain of the settlement that surrounded my village that he, the settler was bringing his flock like inside my neighbor's uh, field. And uh, my neighbor like was actually because sure the settlers are dangerous for us as Palestinians. He was like, filming from far away. And uh, after that, w- w- like after he filmed that, that the settlers, after they harassed the field, they called in the police. Like you see now that uh, the police are, uh, I mean, and the police and the army are working in under the hands of the settlers. It used to be like in the past with other governments, but now in this year, there is a story that happened to my friend that shows that the settlers who are making the decisions over the police, with this government and over the army, 
because after the settler like harassed the field of my friend, uh, the, like the settler himself claimed that my friend attacked him. Even though the videos of my friend and the videos of the settlers showed that they were at least more than 500 meters away from each other. And this is, uh, was discussed during the investigation. But after so, that, the, after uh, the settlers became that he was attacked, the uh, was, uh, Ali, excuse me. Um, the reception is very, very bad, and it's, and it's a difficult. Uh, we're having some difficulty on your end, on our end. I don't know where it emanates from, um, but we're gonna. Uh, I want to head toward a closing out uh, with act- <clears throat> and bring uh, Cassandra back into in, into the program. Um, okay, that's okay. Okay, Cassandra, you said that the humans living in, in Masafir uh, Yata desperately need the world to witness the bitterness of colonialism in, in their fields and olive groves. They desperately need us to pay attention to the ongoing colonial project. You've also said that we, the people here in the U.S., pay for it, the violence, the land theft, the dispossession, the ethnic cleansing. You talked about witnessing ethnic cleansing in motion. Talk about what people here might do. Uh, you've written somewhat about things that have been going on in, in c- congressional initiatives, uh, low-key in actuality, but what else might folks do? Right. Well, I, I first really want to thank people for listening today and thank WRT for having having Ali on and having these, these voices, bringing these voices, and for your patience in, um, in listening through some static. So the the static itself is it's this is part of part of the occupation and part of the colonial experiment there. I, Palestine would would like to have its own um, self cell phone system, its its own data system, and has had that ready to launch for years, um, and isn't allowed to by the occupation. So the the only way to have a cell phone there is to access um, Israeli cell phone towers, which has have been built to serve. Um, the Israeli settlers in settlements and outposts that are actively stealing your land. Um, so there, there is no aspect of life where, where the occupation and its colonial plan doesn't have its tentacles. And I think anything that we can do as, as citizens of the U.S. who are sending so much money to, to better learn and understand what that looks like is... Um, it, it's great that we can do that. So thank you to WRT. Um, people uh, in Madison were fortunate to have a, a relationship um, with the Madison Rafa Sister City Organization. And you can uh, go to their website as madisonrafa.org. Uh, and you're welcome to sign on to uh, let them know that you'd like to be notified of events. Um, right now, we're doing a fundraising campaign to help to renovate caves in the area uh, for use um, when people's above-ground homes are demolished and schools are demolished. These ancestral caves are um, are harder to demolish, and there's a, a move to make them livable and sustainable um, should they be needed. So you can, if you'd like to donate to that, that's uh, available or learn more about it. Um, that's there at madisonrafa.org. And I'd also like to invite people, if if you're curious about my time there, I'm having a small thank you with some Palestinian food. So I, I just, uh, I know that all of this is dire information and hard to absorb, but I so strongly encourage people travel to Palestine if you can, if if your life allows for for any time traveling or vacationing, go to Palestine and and meet people firsthand and and eat food. And if you can't do that, then then the second best is to eat some Palestinian food here in the U.S. And you're invited to do that at Taza Restaurant on this Sunday from two to four, and see some photos of Palestine and and hear a little bit more. But I, I just you can um, follow Palestinian writers and and activists like Ali on on um, Palestinian media media and and through just requesting and and persisting in in the need to hear these voices here. Um, make sure to thank WRT for for having Ali on today and thank you, Alan. Thank you so much. 
Repeat uh, the information about that get-together at, Ta- at Taza Restaurant. Right. Uh, Taza Restaurant uh, is in Middleton. Their address is 1900 Cayuga Street, Middleton. So it's kind of where uh, University Ave meets the Beltline. And it's from 2 to 4 p.m. this Sunday, April 23rd. Well, I want to thank you very much, Cassandra. Any parting words? You you kind of wrapped it up nicely, but I'm wondering if perhaps we left something out. I, I also want to say that I was glad that Cassandra touched on the fact that, that all that static in, and interference uh, is a reflection that you know, we should have this clear global connection v- via the technology, but that static and interruptions in the line and so on uh, is part of the occupation, really. Yes. If you wanted to talk with the settler who hit me, you would have a perfect connection. Well, again, I want to thank you ever so much for coming in. And, and Ali, uh, if, if you can hear me, I want to thank you very much on behalf of, well, our listeners first, but also uh, our, the people here at WORT uh, that tend to, that struggled really day in, day out, 365 a year to bring v- news and views and analysis that you're not going to get uh, very often uh, on the radio waves. So <clears throat> I want to thank Chuck for engineering, Jade for producing. I want to thank uh, you, our listeners. I've been your host for this hour. My name is Alan Ruff, and I want to thank you all very much. Much. I'll be thinking of you all this week, and we'll see you, hear you, talk with you next week. Thank you very much. That would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream. Media distorted. We come and listen and support it.